Section twenty eight of Memoirs of Miss Sidney Biddulph. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Memoirs of Miss Sidney Biddulph by Francis Sheridan. Volume two continued. March the twenty sixth. Alas, my Cecilia, we have received most heavy news. My good Lord V, that steadfast, that worthy, that best of friends, is no more. He was preparing to go to V Hall three days ago, but was seized with an apoplexy as he was coming downstairs to go into his coach, and died before any assistance could reach him. Oh, we have a severe loss in the death of this most dear and valuable man. But why do I mention our loss? His lady, poor Lady V, is most distracted, and well she may. The loss of husbands, fathers, everything his eldest son who is abroad is sent for home on this melancholy occasion my poor mother is afflicted exceedingly everybody that knew him must be so mr arnold and i have lost more than a father how self recurs every minute let me think of lady v again and not dare to complain on my own account but my obligations to him were of such a nature as claim all my gratitude to his memory, and all the tears that I have abundantly shed for him. Mr. Arnold is largely in his debt. We have no room to expect the same friendship from the present Lord V that we experienced from his father. The circumstance did not occur to me till poor Mr. Arnold put me in mind of it. My thoughts were too much absorbed in grief which the death alone of our friend occasioned. My mother hinted at it too in her letter to Mr. Arnold, for it was to him she wrote the mournful tidings. What a dark cloud of sorrow is now spread over Sydney Castle, and how this stroke has embittered our little domestic joys! But let me not carry my complainings into presumptuous murmurings. I have lost a sincere and truly valued friend, but do I not still possess infinite blessings? My husband, my dear Mr. Arnold, my two sweet children, the best of mothers, and thee, my ever-beloved Cecilia, whom I still call mine, though at such a distance from me. Then I comfort myself with reflecting that Lady V has sons, who I hope will be a blessing to her, that her fortune is affluent, and that my lord had passed through a well-spent life to a pretty advanced age. He was turned of sixty. All these considerations soothe my mind, and I acknowledge that upon the whole I have by far more cause to be thankful than to repine. March the 30th. Lady V's journey down to V Hall having been so fatally prevented, she is obliged to remain in London. The shock she received has brought on her a fit of illness. I find my lord has not left any ready money. His fortune was large, but as they always lived in great splendour, he laid none of his income by. The whole sum which he could command he laid out for our use. My lady's jointure is pretty considerable. If it were ten times more, she deserves it. Oh, may her sons prove worthy of such a parent. The youngest, I hear, is a very fine youth. He has come to her from Oxford to comfort her, 
till the arrival of his eldest brother. My mother writes me word that her old friend, Lady Grimston, is dead. She has left her whole fortune to charitable uses, not a sixpence to either of her daughters. Poor Mrs. Vere! She is content with her little income, and has no loss of so unnatural a parent, who carried her vindictive spirit with her to the grave. As for the eldest, she did not stand in need of any assistance from her, but I own, though I had no great esteem for Lady Grimston, I could not help being shocked at the brutal behaviour of her son-in-law to her in her last hours. She had never seen either him or her daughter from that time I told you they had quarrelled. But when she found herself dying, she sent a message to this favourite daughter, desiring to see her. Her husband, whether out of disregard to the old lady or his wife or both, absolutely refused to let her go. My mother remarks on this passage in these words. Thus was this unfortunate parent punished in kind for denying her late husband the satisfaction of seeing his youngest daughter when he was in the same circumstances with herself. My mother is nevertheless very much troubled for the death of her old acquaintance, who she says was a valuable woman. She considers her decease as a memento which warns her of her own approaching end, for they were just of an age. I fear my mother is not well, though she does not say so, for she has put off her coming down to Sydney Castle without giving me a reason for it. April the 22nd I thank you, my beloved Cecilia, for your cordial wish. Your opinion that all my troubles are at an end is consonant to your desires, but I doubt far from the real fact. The young Lord V. is returned home, but oh, how unlike that honest man whose title and fortune he inherits! How deceived were his worthy parents in their hopes of him! He is a stranger to every sentiment of virtue. I have had a letter this day from my Lady V. where she laments the degeneracy of her son, whom they were made to believe a pattern of excellence, but the tutor to whom they entrusted him was as profligate as himself. In short, she says he is quite a reprobate. She has not the least authority or influence over him. She laments this particularly on our account. We are indebted to him near five thousand pounds, and my lady says she fears he will press Mr. Arnold. He is profuse, she says, in his expenses, without being generous. What can we do, my dear? There is not the least prospect now of our being able to pay this money, but by our selling the only remaining stake we have left. Had my lord lived, he made us hope that by his interest he could procure Mr. Arnold some employment, which would have enabled him to discharge this debt at his ease without ever being obliged to strip ourselves of our all. As we purposed living with the utmost economy, this might have been accomplished in a few years. This prospect is now lost to us. We must submit. 
I have begged of Mr. Arnold to think immediately of selling my jointure, for we have no reason to expect any leniency from a man of such a character as the present Lord V is. We can subsist upon the income which my mother is so good as to allow us. It is precarious, it is true, but something may happen. I rely on that providence who has hitherto protected me. April the 28th Lady V.'s apprehensions were but too well founded. We have had a letter from her son's agent. The debt must be paid, and we are come to a resolution to sell two hundred and fifty pounds a year. We shall then have but fifty pounds a year in the world, which we can call our own. I reckon not upon my mother's life. These afflictions, I fear, will hasten her departure to another world. From Sir George we have nothing to expect. He is absorbed in vanity. His new alliances engross him entirely. My dear Lady V writes us word she will do her utmost to promote Mr. Arnold's interest. She has numerous and powerful friends, and says she makes no doubt of obtaining something for him worth his acceptance. Believe me, my Cecilia, I am not disheartened at this fresh blow. If my dear Mr. Arnold could reconcile himself to it, I could be well contented. I will not now, though you used to accuse me of it, anticipate misfortunes. We have still enough for the present to live on decently, and if my Lady V's kind endeavours should succeed, we may yet be happily provided for. I will not let the thought of my mother's death interfere. Let me but calm the anxious fears of my poor Mr. Arnold, and all will be well. May the twelfth. Thank God we have done with the merciless Lord V. His money is to be paid directly to him. I have recovered my tranquillity. I enjoy my little in peace, and have the comfort to see Mr. Arnold's mind more at ease, and reconciled to his lot. To Lady V.'s goodness, as well as my own earnest endeavours, I impute this. She says she has the promise of an honourable and profitable post for him, but we are to wait some months for it. The person who is now in possession of this place is to be preferred to a better, and she says she has the word of an honest man on the occasion. He is a very great man, too, says my lady in her letter. But, as it is on the first part of his character chiefly we are to depend, I mention the other only by the by. Now, my dear, have I not reason to be contented? A thankless heart should I have if I were not. But I am indeed, my Cecilia, I am, and I begin again to be happy. Our domestic felicity was but disturbed for a while. It was not overthrown." Here will I close. I have an opportunity of sending this immediately by a private hand to my beloved. Here Mrs. Arnold's maid Patty continues the journal. May the 15th. By my lady's orders I take up the pen, and she has charged me to set down every particular. God knows I am ill able to do it, but I will strive to obey her. My poor dear lady is in such trouble. She has not the heart to write, nor scarcely to do anything. My master, 
oh madam how shall i express myself my poor master now he is so good we are going i fear to lose him i must write according to my lady's custom everything in the best order i can you cannot think madam how happy they have lived together ever since my lady came home to him again he seemed to grow fonder and fonder of her every day i believe he perfectly adored her and he had reason you know madam my lady was always used to a chariot but they never attempted keeping one since they came down to sydney castle she asked my master once if he had a horse quiet enough for her to venture to ride on to church i observed my master turned away his face and put his handkerchief to his eyes i believe he thought of a little favourite pad that he'd given to mrs gerard i have not one my love said he that i would trust you on you had once a pretty horse that you were fond of but my desperate folly has not even left you that but i will look out for one that will suit you no matter my dear said my lady smiling and taking him by the hand i will ride double i think that will suit me best dearest of women said my master and he fetched a deep sigh when shall i be able to make you amends he lamented hourly the loss of his fortune for her sake what would become of you my dearest creature my two young children said he when he was obliged to part with her jointure if i should die before you and then he cried and wrung his hands my lady begged of him to put such melancholy thoughts out of his head saying they never disturbed her i hope said she i shall never see your death but if it pleases god to punish me so far a little a very little will content me for the rest of my days my master embraced her and the sweet children and said if heaven spared him life he would yet be the happiest man in the world many a time have i been witness to such discourse between them for they knew my love for them was so great that they would never scruple talking of their affairs before me oh madam i believe there was never a truer penitent than my master my dear lady has said to me since they were forced to spend her jointure patty though we are now reduced to little more than two hundred pounds a year i have much more comfort than when we had twelve i have the satisfaction of seeing mr arnold such as i wish him he is an altered man patty he is truly virtuous and i am sure he loves me now from right reason i am content with the little that is left us i always prayed for her prosperity but madam god is pleased to order things otherwise than we poor silly mortals think the best my lady has always been good and pious and i hope he will yet bring her out of her troubles though they are great and many my lady always charged me to be minute and to write particulars but good madam excuse the silly way i put my words together i have not yet come to the dismal part of my story and i hardly know how to go on for indeed i am forced to break off every now and then to cry reason enough i have to be sure but what is my sorrow compared to my lady's 
the day before yesterday my master was asked by some gentlemen in our neighbourhood to go a-hunting he had no mind to go for my lady was not very well and he was unwilling to leave her but she persuaded him because she knew he loved hunting dearly she has blamed herself for it ever since but she could not know by enchantment what was to happen he left my lady in bed and went out about five o'clock in the morning at eight as my lady was sitting at breakfast and i attending the other maid called me out our man who had gone abroad with my master was in the kitchen and looked as pale as death i asked him what was the matter the poor fellow could hardly speak but at last said my master has got a desperate fall in leaping a ditch and i am afraid has hurt his skull he is lying at farmer hill's cottage and one of the gentlemen is rid off for a surgeon but that is no place for him we must get him home but i thought it best to prepare my lady before she sees him my lady rung her bell before i could answer him i ran in but i am sure i looked like a ghost for my lady started when she saw me bless me patty said she what is the matter not much madam said i he is killed she cried and sprung out of her chair indeed he is not madam i answered standing between her and the door but he has got a fall and is a little hurt she made me no answer but flew downstairs out at the front door and down the avenue as quick as an arrow i ran after her and the other servants after me we could not overtake her but she was soon stopped for she met my poor master borne by four men i suppose she thought he was dead for she fainted away directly and we carried her in after him my master was put to bed he was alive but not able to speak he had got a dreadful cut in his head and was sadly bruised besides as soon as my lady came to herself we told her my master was not killed she went into his room but had not power to speak but sat like a stone statue at his bedside the surgeon came in less than half an hour i believe he is but a sorry one for after he dressed the wound he said there was not danger in it at first we were all in hopes that it was so for about two o'clock my master got his speech again he complained of sickness at his stomach and violent pains all over him my lady on hearing him speak seemed to be roused as if out of a deep sleep several of the gentlemen who had been out with my master had come to inquire how he did and though some of them came into his chamber my lady did not speak nor seem to regard any of them the first word she uttered was to call me patty said she what is the reason i do not see mr maine here it was my brother she meant who is a surgeon and i believe madam she has mentioned him to you as one that is reckoned pretty skilful in his business one of the gentlemen immediately said by all means let him be sent for directly my brother was soon fetched and he thought proper to bleed my master in the arm he would not take the dressings off his head as the other surgeon had declared the skull was not touched 
but said he would be present when the wound was dressed the next day, and would watch all night by my master. My lady was not to be removed from the bedside, nor could we persuade her to take any sustenance the whole day. My poor master was in a high fever all night, and I thought he strove to stifle his groans that my lady might not hear them. She did, for all that, and I am sure every one of them was worse than a dagger to her heart. She stole out of the room several times for a minute, and I could hear her bursting into tears as soon as she was outside the door. Then she would come in again and sit by him till her heart was again so full she was forced to go out to give it vent. The whole night passed over in this dismal way. When my master's head was examined the next day, my brother found that the skull was not touched where he had received the cut, but that it was broken in two other places, and in so dangerous a way that it was impossible to save his life, as it was not in a part where it could be trepanned. The other surgeon, who found he had been mistaken at first, now joined with my brother in opinion that the world could not save my master's life. Oh, madam, if you had seen my lady when this was declared to her, I shall never forget her looks. I remember a piece of fine painting at your house, which I used to hear your family commend mightily. It was a picture of despair. My lady put me in mind of this piece. She had the very countenance of it. But I think if she had then sat to a painter, he could have made a stronger and more heartbreaking look, even than that picture has. Such another dismal day and night, I believe, never was passed in this house. My brother stayed with us, though he could do but little service except to watch my poor master, for he was between whiles quite out of his reason. No rest did my lady take all last night. She could not be got out of the room. She has tasted nothing these two days, nor slept a wink these two nights. She will destroy herself. What will become of us? I have wrote to my lady Bidolf to let her know the deplorable condition we're all in. My God, what will become of the poor children if my lady goes on at this rate? She cannot hold out, to be sure, such a load of sorrow at her heart without nourishment or sleep. Oh, my good madam, I am not able to go on with my task. We have not the least hopes in the world. My master grows worse and worse every hour. He has his reason now and is sensible that he is dying. Heaven knows if I could lay down my life to save his, how gladly I would do it. I should be no loss, but he will be a grievous one. Lord, help me, I am not able to go on. I have writ this by bits and scraps. Mr. Maine, in continuation. May the 16th, three o'clock in the morning. Mr. Arnold has been delirious the greatest part of yesterday, but about six o'clock in the evening, having come a little to his senses, he was conscious that he was going fast, and desired that prayers might be read by him. His lady sent for the minister of the parish, but he was gone to London. 
the gentleman who he'd left to do his duty was taken ill the night before and was not able to leave his bed he sent the messenger that went for him to another clergyman who lived about four miles farther off to request he would attend in his stead but he was engaged in the same duty in his own parish and could not come he said till next morning the servant had wasted above two hours on this errand it was nine o'clock when he returned mr arnold during this interval had had several ramblings but was now again a little composed though apparently worse i whispered the apothecary who had just come in that he could not live till morning mrs arnold observed me and begged to know what i said i told her tenderly that i feared mr atkins that was the clergyman's name would arrive too late if he deferred his visit till next day she made me no answer but seemed to study a little then went composedly to mr arnold's bedside my dear said she mr downs is unluckily from home his assistant is sick in bed and we cannot to-night get any other clergyman to visit you but as you are desirous of offering up your prayers to almighty god i hope it will not be improper if i read the service for the sick by you he stretched out his hand towards her and said in a faint yet eager voice do do my good angel tears stood in the lady's eyes as she turned from him but she quickly wiped them off and requested of me and the apothecary to join with her in the solemn office she was going to perform which she said though she was sensible it was an irregular act yet she hoped from the necessity of the case would be accepted in the sight of god she ordered my sister to fetch her a prayer-book and then kneeled down at mr arnold's bedside surely nothing ever appeared so graceful her fine hands and her fine eyes lifted up to heaven while the book lay open before her on the table such a reverential such an ardent yet such a mournful supplication in those fine eyes she looked like something more than human after having in this posture offered up a short petition in silence she began the service never did i see true devotion before the fervour of her looks and the tone of her voice was such you would have thought she beheld her creator with her bodily eyes for my part i looked on her with such reverence that she appeared to me like an angel interceding for us poor mortal sinners she went through the office with admirable strength of mind omitting the exhortation till she came to that part of the prayer which says yet for as much as in all appearance the time of his dissolution draweth nigh etc here her voice faltered and she stopped but soon recovered herself and proceeded with an unbroken tone to the end every one present wept but herself she thanked us for our kindness in staying and begged we would continue by poor mr arnold while there was the least possibility of administering any relief to him i told her i would most willingly obey her commands and sit up all the night with him 
though it was not in human power to give him any assistance. She repeated her thanks, and then, sitting down by the bedside, remained composed and silent. About twelve o'clock, finding Mr. Arnold speechless, I entreated her to retire to her own chamber, and if she could not sleep, to take some little refreshment, for she had taken nothing that whole day, nor for the two preceding ones, but a dish of tea which my sister had forced on her. "'Mr. Maine,' said she, "'suffer me to continue a little longer. My task will soon be over.' I was unwilling to urge her, and she remained sitting in her place. About two o'clock we heard Mr. Arnold give a deep groan. "'He is gone,' said she, and started off her chair. I stepped to his bedside and found, indeed, he had breathed his last. She snatched up one of his hands that lay upon the coverlet of the bed, held it for near a minute to her lips, and then, without any audible token of grief, went out of the room. I pray God to support and comfort this excellent woman. End of section 28